if you would turn in your Bible to Judges chapter 6, verses 17 through 20, and following with 36 through 40. Then he said to him, Now I have found favor in your sight. Then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring you out until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from Epaph of flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth and he did so. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung out the dew of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be only dry on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. appreciate Blaine with that scripture reading. That is actually the scripture reading for this evening, and I didn't have one for this morning. So let me encourage you to open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll look at verses 2 and 3 this morning. Then you may say, well, that goes a little bit more with uh, what, uh, what we're talking about. But hopefully, what Blaine just read will whet your appetite for the evening lesson, which is going to be called the fleecing of the will of God. There's a lot of people that want to put out fleeces like Gideon did. There's a lot of people that want to say, well, God, I'm going to obey you, but first, I want to see a sign. I want to know that what, uh, what I'm believing and what I'm about to do is within your will. And there's a lot of questions that come about as a result of the will of God, and I hope that you'll be back here this evening at 6 o'clock, Lord willing, so that we can get a chance to talk about that. We're glad that you're here this morning, uh, especially visitors. We are glad that you're here. We know we have a number in the assembly. And if you were not handed one of these this morning, if you wouldn't mind, uh, back here on the table, right in the center of the foyer is a little visitor's card. We'd love for you to be able to fill that out and have a record of your attendance and just drop it there in the basket that's, uh, that's given out there uh, so that we can just uh, have a get, get a chance to get to know you and have a record of your visit. And we hope that you're made to feel welcome while you're here this morning. By the way, let me push this and uh, let me encourage you. At the end of this month, we are having a a Christian Evidences Seminar from May, uh, sorry, April 30th to May 2nd. And you say, well, what are Christian Evidences? Questions like, does God exist? Questions like, how do I harmonize things like Bible and uh, the dinosaurs? How do I uh, harmonize things like the existence of good and evil and the existence of an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good God? And we have a gentleman who's coming from a specific place called Apologetics Press who's going to be giving us uh, answers to those questions and definitive proof so that we can build our faith on something eternal. I hope that you'll uh, grab one of these. They're back there on the table with a black tablecloth in the foyer. Uh, just invitations and if you uh, need some help, we can have a member to be able to help you uh, to find those this morning. But I hope that you're uh, planning on being back, and I hope that we'll be able to see you again before April 30th, May 2nd, but we're glad that you're here this morning. 
This lesson I'm going to do is actually not my own this morning. It was actually originally, as I recall, done by a gentleman by the name of David Roper. And it's a form of preaching known as narrative preaching. See, some of the things that are most memorable in the minds of people about the teachings of Jesus are the stories that he told, the parables that he gave. And you'll note that things like the parable of the Good Samaritan or uh, the parable of the sower who went out to sow, a lot of those things are really well-known teachings of Jesus because they have a tendency to stick in the mind. Well, Mr. Roper, Brother Roper, uh, put together this sermon a long time ago, and then sometime later, somebody came up with these uh, nice, um, uh, what do you call them, just watercolors, watercolor pictures. And so those are going to be given along with this, and you'll be able to tell immediately that it was from an age gone by, uh, because our main character has to do with being a milkman. But I hope that you'll appreciate the story and the, uh, the, the sentiments that are uh, a part of this as we tie this into what we know about the truth of Jesus coming again. It was a day, a beautiful day. It was a beautiful day like the day we're enjoying this morning. It was a day that began just like any other, and yet at the same time, this was going to be a day unlike any other. Because you see, this is the day that Jesus is going to come again. You think that George would have had some kind of premonition, some kind of intuition or something that was nagging him in the back of his mind about this day and about uh, Christ coming again. But the truth of the matter is, is that if George had had some kind of sixth sense about Jesus coming again, then the Bible's, well, the Bible would have been proven untrue. Because Jesus said himself in Matthew 24 and verse 36, of that day and of that hour, no man knows, not the angels in heaven, but only my Father. And George, as he comes, he, come, he wakes up in the morning, and you see, George is a milkman. He did that morning what he does every morning. He got up, and he began moving slowly. And as a milkman, he'd only been doing this job for about two years, and he still hadn't gotten early, uh, used to the early hours. He's a lot like some of us. And as he got up and he began to get ready, he turned and looked at his beautiful sleeping wife, Margie. He decided this morning just to let Margie go ahead and rest and continue sleeping. He thought she needs a whole lot of rest in order to be able to keep up with our little daughter, Julie. She's running all over the house. She's walking now, and, and he said she's into everything, so I know Margie's got to be tired, and I'm just going to let her rest this morning. And as he looks down at this sleeping wife, he remembers Margie is a Christian, and Margie so wanted George to become a Christian. In fact, they had long conversations about it. And just a couple days earlier, they had had a long conversation about him becoming a Christian, about when the right time was, because George knew exactly what he needed to do. He knew that he uh, believed in Jesus, and he knew he needed to confess him before men and be baptized for the remission of his sins. And following that conversation, sometimes it feels like there's a conspiracy involved where you have a conversation about something, and then you go immediately to someplace else, and you realize that they're talking about the same thing that you just talked about. That Sunday at, 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 at church, he felt like the preacher was preaching right at him, and he said, it, it's kind of right because the shoe fits. I understand that I need to become a Christian. He was trying to remember as he got ready that morning about what the preacher had actually preached on. He said, oh, yes. It was about Christ coming again. And George, as he listened to the sermon, he listened and really enjoyed most of the sermon that morning. He talked about, uh, the preacher had talked about how there were a lot of people that were very foolish in their minds because they thought that they could predict accurately the second coming of Jesus. 
And he talked about it back in the 1800s about how preachers tried to pinpoint the exact day that Jesus was going to come back. And, and what those people did was they put on white robes and they climbed to the top of their housetops and some of them climbed trees and others went on pilgrimages and climbed mountains in order to be ready to meet the Lord and only to be disappointed. Yet the preacher continued and talked about the fact that just as foolish as it was to continue trying to predict the accurately the, the second coming of Jesus, so also on the opposite end of the spectrum, it was foolish to try and understand and know the truth and not make a life ready. And George thought about that this morning and thought about Marge and the preacher and thinking, well, they're probably right, and about how Jesus could come at any time. Now, George honestly thought about this and thought the preacher was probably being a little dramatic probably being a little dramatic and telling the congregation that, that the Lord could come back in the next five minutes, that the preacher could have told the people that, that the Lord could come back even before the end of the lesson, even before the last offering and the last invitation was offered, that Jesus could come back at any time. But then he thought, my wife, the preacher, they're probably right. I know what I need to do. I know the response that I need to make. And as he stacked his dishes in the sink, he thought, I, I really don't know what I'm waiting on. I really don't know why I'm delaying like I ought to. And so someday, George thought, someday I'll take that step and I'll become a Christian. When he was ready for work, George peeked in to see his sleeping daughter, Julie. Oh, like a father's heart was filled with gladness and filled with joy, looking down at that sweet little face, sleeping and thinking what a wonderful joy it was to have her. And whenever he opened the door in the afternoon after his milk route was done, how she would just come and say, Daddy, and run up to him and give him a great big hug. That was one of the things he loved most in this life. And he thought about her, and he went to kiss Margie goodbye, and George smiled, thinking about how happy she would be when he finally walked down the aisle and became a Christian. Little did he know he would never see them again. For the next hour or so, George was too busy to really think about anything else other than his work. There were all kinds of things to be done. There were instructions to check. There were schedules to keep. There were bottles to load and arrangements to be made. And finally, George started his deliveries like he always does. It was a beautiful day. And George recognized that this was one of the things that he loved most about his job. The fact that he got a special privilege to be able to see the world kind of wake up and about how he got to see the neighborhoods begin to come alive, and he enjoyed the quietness because it gave him a chance to think between deliveries. And as he drove along, he began to see the signs, as we just mentioned, of all the neighborhood beginning to stir. From the homes, he could imagine the sound of electric razors, and he could almost smell the, the smell of frying bacon in the pan. And in his rearview mirror, he could often see the women in their housecoats that were standing there and, and opening up the front door and pulling up the bottles and taking them inside and then quickly closing the door before anybody saw them with their hair up in curlers. I told you this is a thing of days gone by. And quickly grabbing your bottles of milk, they would duck back inside, and George continued on his way, enjoying the beautiful morning. But for some reason, that preacher's sermon kept coming back to him. The day Jesus came again. There was a passage that quoted by the preacher that morning about the second coming, and it forced itself into his mind. The passage was from Matthew 24 and verse 38. They were eating and drinking. And he passed a church building that the night before had had a wedding, and he noticed the rice and the bird seed that was scattered there in the parking lot and a couple of uh, little, little uh, party favors and things like that, and he thought about the words of Jesus. They were marrying. 
They were given in marriage. He passed a bakery, smelling the smell of fresh bread coming wafting out of it, and thinking about Luke chapter uh, 17, verse 35, about how two women were grinding at the mill, and one was taken and the other one left. And then as he continued on his route, he he passed by a a sign that had a a do not disturb night worker sign. He thought about the words of Jesus, two men will be lying in one bed, one will be taken, and the other one left, Luke 17, verse 34. His route took him almost to the edge of that town that he lived in. And as he watched, there were some workers that were with their uh, hoes and with their, their tools and things were beginning to go out in the field. And he thought about the words of Jesus one more time. Two men will be working in the field. One shall be taken, the other one left. Luke 17, verse 36. George admittedly gave a little shudder when he thought about these things. And he pushed those thoughts to the back of his mind. And he thought, why in the world am I getting so nervous? If Jesus hasn't come in 2,000 years, why should he uh, suddenly choose now? After all, I'm, I'm living, I'm healthy, I'm in good health, and, and it was really good for a long time. He said, I should be thinking about living and not about the end of everything. It really was a beautiful day. Howard George had forgotten about the verse that I asked you to turn to. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, For this you know perfectly well. That the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For while they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. George continued on his way. He continued carrying full bottles to homes. He carried empty bottles back to his truck. He went down the street, back and forth and back and forth, all the same just as they did every morning, but not quite the same. There really was no advance warning for when it happened. You know how sometimes animals, when there's a great storm that's about to happen or when there's something in the air, you kind of feel electricity and animals kind of have a sixth sense about those things. You ever notice that? About how when disaster is about to strike, you find the animals beginning to act really, really nervous. There was nothing like that. There was nothing like that. There was nothing. Men were on their way to work. Mothers were getting their children ready for school. Little children were playing as they do every morning. (laughs) The preacher, like always, was up early getting his sermon ready for next Sunday, but he needn't have bothered. There really was no warning. It was life as usual. And then it happened. The day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. The Bible says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and then the dead in Christ shall rise first, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16. You see, George was near a cemetery when it happened. The shout traveled through the atmosphere faster than the speed of sound or light. It was a shout that penetrated the very core of the earth and very center of George's being. George wrecked his truck but it didn't matter. George had never heard before the voice of God, but there was no question in his mind as to who and what this was. Never before had he seen Jesus, but in some way he knew exactly who this was and what was happening. And Jesus, the Bible says, Revelation 1 verse 7, Behold, he comes with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they shall also see him whom they pierced. And all people or all nations or all tribes or all kindreds of the earth shall mourn because of him. 
Bible also says in 1 Thessalonians 2, or excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in flaming fire, taking vengeance upon those who know not God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the cemetery nearby, there were graves that were opened. They began to open, and the dead started to come forth out of the graves. Their bodies were unlike anything George had ever seen, and for some reason, George had trouble trying to describe them, but the word incorruptible kept coming back to him. He was thinking about those people, and, and it was no surprise to him that there were people that were coming up out of the graves that were looking happy and joyful, and there were some who looked despondent, looked sad. George noticed those people because the Bible says, Jesus says, the hour is coming when all who are in the grave shall hear his voice and come forth. To those who have done good, to the resurrection of life, to those who have done evil, to the resurrection of condemnation. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Furthermore, the word of God says we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised, incorruptible, and we shall all be changed, 1 Corinthians 51 and 52. George was now running. George was running as fast as he could. He wasn't far from home, and his only thoughts were to get home to his wife and daughter. He was in a daze. He could hear the blare of the trumpet that chilled him to the bone. The very earth beneath his feet began to crumble as he recognized this earth began to, uh, to split open and... and, and he knew that it would be on fire before too long. He could hear the most terrible cry that he'd ever heard in his life, the sound of a soul that was despondent, that was completely hopeless. And he realized that cry was coming from himself. As George ran home, he passed by several people whose funerals he attended. This didn't surprise him. Nothing surprised him anymore. And in fact, he passed a funeral procession of, of a hearse that was taking a body out to the cemetery. And as it was stopped in the middle of the road, there was nobody attending it. And the back door of the hearse was open and the flame, lid of the casket was thrown back. It was empty. George could hear the cries, the wails, and the shrieks of many while at the same time. It seemed to George that he could hear the sound of singing and joy. Songs of praise and victory. But truthfully, those things brought no comfort to George's soul. Finally, George made it home. He burst through the front door. He ran from room to room, shouting for his wife and daughter. He saw his daughter's favorite doll on the floor, and his wife's housecoat was lying in a chair. He ran into the kitchen and put his hand in the, in the dishwasher. It was still warm. He couldn't find his wife and daughter, and it was almost as if, it was almost as if, as if they were ready, they were prepared. The thought finally struck George that he must now face the judgment of God. His first thought was to hide, but he knew that there was no hiding. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, whether good or whether evil. George knew that he was all, with all people of the earth who had ever lived going to be judged. Yes, he knew many things now, but it was too late. He knew that his excuses were just that now, excuses. He knew that whatever had held him back from obeying the gospel, 
whatever had held him back from becoming a Christian, that was the most important thing. And he'd neglected it. He'd not done it. And the people that he thought were hypocrites, the people that had kept him from becoming a Christian, he was now going to spend eternity with. He knew that his heart would ache for his wife and daughter throughout eternity. And yet somehow through the grace of God and through the comfort of God, they were going to be able to be happy without him. When George appeared before the judgment seat of Christ, he already knew what his sentence would be. Jesus said in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit upon the throne of glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left, and he shall say to those who are on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he shall also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and for his angels. George knew that he was lost, and there was nothing that could be done for him. Why? Why, he thought, didn't I listen? Why didn't I obey when I had the chance? Why didn't I change my life after I heard lesson after lesson after lesson? The world and all that's in it has passed away. There's nothing, no material thing that I've held on to for so long that's, that's, not, that's going to pass through the judgment, that's going to pass through the destruction. George was gripped with hopelessness, fear, and remorse because there was nothing left for him. The story we told this morning is not true. It's just that, it's just a story. I know it's a story because Christ hasn't come yet. But I know that according to what we read from the Word of God and what we heard quoted from the Word of God this morning, it could happen at any time. And just as it's foolish for somebody to try and predict the exact time when Jesus Christ is going to come, so it is also foolish for somebody who's going to stand unprepared before the judgment seat of God and is going to continue saying, next time, next time, next time. Some of you may be looking at me this morning and saying, doesn't he know this is Resurrection Sunday? Doesn't he know that we've got visitors here that are here because, well, because it's Easter? And yet at the same time, I can't think of a more appropriate sermon. You know why? Because what Jesus did at the cross, what Jesus did in his triumph over death was to save us from the feelings that George had in our story, was to save us from that gripping hopelessness that gripping terror to recognize that I am standing before the Lord and I am not ready, that I haven't done what's right in his sight. Jesus died to save you and to save me from that. He died because he knew that God has appointed a day in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness. And he's given assurance of this to all men by raising Jesus from the dead, Acts chapter 17. And the question we ask this morning 
Do you appreciate the resurrection of Jesus? Do you appreciate the resurrection of life? Because God so loved you that he sent his son to die from you, for you so that you could be saved from this fate. And we're going to continue to live in rebellion against God and his will. I can't imagine facing God at the judgment unprepared. Brothers and sisters, the truth is, is that God has allowed you grace this morning to hear this lesson. God has allowed you grace this morning to have the time to let this fall into your ears and let your mind and your heart comprehend it. And God is allowing the grace right now for me to continue speaking to you, recognizing that you may be the one that needs to change, that you may be the one that needs to obey the gospel. Because the Bible says that we hear the gospel by faith, uh, by, by the word of God, faith is created. Romans 10, verse 17. By hearing the message about Jesus and about how he came to this earth and how he, he lived sinlessly and how he died a, at the hands of sinful men, he hadn't done anything wrong. By the power of God, he was raised from the dead on the third day so that he could be the first fruits of all those who believe in him. He's blazed the trail for us. And in naming him as Lord and Savior and saying, I want to be identified with Jesus. I want to be his sheep. I want him to be my, my shepherd, Psalm 23. I want to follow him all the days of my life as my king, as my Savior, as Lord and Christ, Acts 2 and 36. Then it's a matter of dying to self, dying to sin. The Bible says we were buried with him in baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, even so we, you and I, also should walk in newness of life. Baptism is part of the plan. Baptism is, is part of what God wants us to do in being united together with him in the likeness of his death, burial, and resurrection. And what happens after that? We get to live with a hope, not a fear like George. We get to live with a call maranatha lord come quickly jesus is lord there's nothing you and i can do to change that jesus is the christ there's nothing you and i can do to change that judgment is coming there's nothing you and i can do to change that and if we're going to continue going on being so foolish thinking that we've got more time we've got more time we've got more time one day you're either going to run out of life or you're going to run out of time God wants you to be ready. Why do you wait? If you need to obey the gospel this morning, we're going to issue the invitation. Won't you come now as we stand and sing our invitation song?